Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. The first purpose of the UCB Theater was for the UCB Four to work out our sketch show. You know, it it was a selfish. It wasn't a let's make money. It was let's work out our sketches. So even still, I worked out. I just shot my four twenty uh, a special, uh, my stand up special. It's called Pot Humor. Um, but I've been working on it at the theater for years, whether at our four twenty shows or five minutes at a stand-up show or whatever. So I'm still to this day using the theater for my craft. And that's the number one joy I get out of the theater. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great, great day today and i'm very excited about today's podcast with matt besser and i know you will be too live from the montreal just for laughs festival but before we get started i just want to let you know a few things if you need to reach me you can do so at barry cats at instagram or twitter or all of my social media you can check me out and please subscribe or follow me it really really helps and if you need to reach me also you can do so at barrycats.com all right, without further ado, here goes. Get ready to be inspired. Raised a proud Razorback in Little Rock, Arkansas, Matt Besser attended Amherst College in Massachusetts. After graduating, Matt toured the Midwest doing stand-up while taking improvisation direction from the legendary Del Close at Chicago's Improv Olympic Theater. In Chicago in 1991, he was a founding member of the sketch group The Upright Citizens Brigade, and with them he has performed and written such stage shows as The Saigon Suicide Squad, which was the winner of the best sketch at the U.S. Comedy and Arts Festival in Aspen. Besser's stand-up albums include May I Help You Dumbass and Woo Pig Suey, and the six most important sets in the history of stand-up. 
as well as Besser Breaks the Record, which was also filmed as a special for CISO. As an improviser, he was a member of Chicago's The Family and is forever a member of ASCAT, the UCB Theater's long-running flagship improv show. In the late 90s, the UCB moved to New York City and produced their sketch show Upright Citizens Brigade for three seasons on Comedy Central. In the fall of 2005, UCB premiered their improv show ASCAT Improv on Bravo, and in 2008, another ASCAT special was filmed at the UCB Theater in L.A. and premiered on Comedy Central as well. With the success of their own TV shows, the UCB opened their own comedy theater and improv school, which operates two theaters in New York City and two in Los Angeles. After the UCB TV show, Matt teamed up with Method Man and Red Man to create and perform a hidden camera show on MTV called Stung. Besser is a very recognizable actor and has guest starred in such critically acclaimed sitcoms as Parks and Recreation, Modern Family, New Girl, Children's Hospital, Bernie Mac Show, Frasier, Fresh Off the Boat, Drunk History, Workaholics, Rick and Morty, Bob's Burgers, Reno 911, and too many more to mention. He has also been featured in many, many feature films, including Freak Dance, Year One, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, Drill Bit Taylor, Bad Teacher, Wild Girls Gone, and Sundance Film Festival favorite June Bug, and co-star of the zombie western Wanted, Undead or Alive. Besser's most recent stand-up special in 2016 had him smashing comedy world records while in confrontations with crossword puzzle enthusiasts and Soviet alternative comedians. Along with Ian Roberts and Matt Walsh, he is the author of the Upright Citizens Brigade Comedy and Improvisational Manual and wrote and co-directed the film musical Freak Dance, one of the foremost experts in the world on sketch comedy and improvisation and one of the most respected people in that world. Please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Matt Besser. Thanks, Barry. I've known Barry for a long time. Or I feel like the first time I went to New York to really showcase myself, I ran into you. So I've known you since like 96, I guess. That's right. Do you remember that experience? I do, because it was very nerve-wracking for me, because I had started in Chicago and really hadn't gone to L.A. or New York to do that kind of thing yet. And uh, so when I did, it was really nerve-wracking. So those those nerve-wracking experiences stick in your head. And I believe it was at the Comic Strip Live, and that was legendary at the time, too. So that was a big deal for me. The thought of like getting reps was new to me. So the whole thing was a big step. I always think of you as a guy who, when you see somebody doing so much sketch and improv, you feel like there's nothing that can go wrong because even when it goes wrong, it goes right. Definitely the improv part can help you out. It's the only profession in the world where shit goes wrong and you can make it better. Maybe. Yeah, hopefully. You know, what's funny about that is the word improv. Like I didn't when I when I, I, I graduated from college in 89, I did a stand up contest that got me into the whole thing. And that was during the whole stand up boom. I didn't know what the word improv was. Like if someone had said the word improv, I'd gone like, oh, you mean like jazz improv? Like 
in relation to comedy, it wasn't a concept to me yet. And now I feel like I'll watch TV shows, like a dramatic TV show where they'll say, we got to do a little improv. Like and those are becoming memes now. Like I feel like it was on Handmaid's Tale even the other day. And, and improvisers see that and they take it out and they make it a meme. And it's like, it's, it's weird that I didn't even know that word 20 years ago. And now it's part of the popular culture as it should be, I guess. Tell our audience the first time you found out about it what it was yeah this what really makes of- me seem old because everyone's like you didn't know what improv was but really back in the early 90s it definitely was long form improv just if you weren't in chicago you did not know what that was if you if you didn't know a comedy improv you probably thought it was short form improv like whose line is it anyway and i'm not sure what year that was on the air first but i'm I would guess that most people that was their first experience with the concept of improv, but I didn't even see that show before I'd seen long form improv. And I moved to, I started in Denver and Boulder area and stand up, but only for like three months. And I moved to Chicago cause that scene was just really popping in 90. There was like 12 fucking clubs there. It was crazy. So it was either New York, L.A., or Chicago in my mind. So I, I picked Chicago. And like I said, I have n- did not know at all that, oh, that's where improv was happening. And I had heard of Second City through SCTV and was a huge fan of SCTV and wanted to be in my own kids in the hall. Like, that was kind of my goal. And uh, so I moved to Chicago, started doing... The- all those clubs up there would go to second city, see what they called the improv set. And then you started to hear about it. And then I heard about this place called improv Olympic, uh, which was, that was Sharna Halpern with Sharna Halpern and my eventual mentor, uh, Del close, of course, the late Del close. Yeah. And, and that was a completely unknown. Uh, that's where Mike Myers came from and Tim Meadows. In fact, the very first show I saw there and only realized in retrospect, like at the, at the time they were nobodies, but it was Tim Meadows, Dave Keckner, and Chris Farley and a bunch of other genius improvisers. But to, at that point they were just a bunch of dudes on stage, you know? And I saw them do uh, what we call a Herald, uh, this long form improv. And uh, it blew me the fuck away. At that point, I just wanted to be a stand up. And at that, and when I saw that show, I was like, this is how my mind works. This is what I'm going to be good at. But I also thought they were cheating. I thought there was, it was written. I thought they were cheating when I first saw it. Yeah. I went up to Tim Meadows after the show and I said, Hey, that was a great show. I said, the fat guy won, right? Pointing to Farley. And he's like, there are no winners in improv. I was like, Oh, I thought he won the night. Um, but, uh, and I was like, you guys, you said you improvised that, but you all started singing a song at the exact same time. How's that even possible? You've, you've sung that song before. And he's like, no, we improvised that song on the spot. I was like, come on, you can tell me I'm a stand up. You, you can let me know the magic trick basically. And he's like, no, there's a whole mythology methodology. And, uh, so that that's what gave me the bug that night. I was like, well, I got to figure this out. I want to share something with you that I don't necessarily agree with. And I want you to take me down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I can't wait to hear what this is. There's a methodology to being a magician. Yeah. But there's still some tricks. There's a methodology to being a great stand-up comedian, but there's still some tricks. Okay. And so I don't agree with that. On the improv shows, I do believe that the stage is a safe place and that if something that happened four weeks ago and one line that was used by one guy in that crowd, I do believe that that happens and they have the mental Rolodex that they can use lines that they've used before and mix them with lines they haven't used before. And that's the magic trick hmm. in my mind. Please disagree with me and tell me you've never repeated a joke or a line from any show you've ever done on improv in another thing six months later. I will say that I've never done it intentionally. Like, uh, well, there's a few things here. There, first of all, as you grow as a comedian, no matter what genre you're in, you're, you're always developing a point of view, hopefully. So I don't, I don't consider a point of view a, a trick, but if, if you have a, you know, as you, gr when you're in your twenties, you think you have a point of view and then you realize, oh, in your thirties, you're like, oh, that 20 year old had no life experience. Now I do. And I have more perspective on the world. I'm starting to form an opinion. Uh, a point of view and either the audience likes that point of view or not. If they do like it, I probably lean more into that point of view. And eventually that becomes my comedy brand, right? They come to expect a certain type of comedy from Matt Besser or, or whoever you are. So I guess that could lead to certain thoughts being repeated, but I wouldn't consider it like a line, like a comedic like I'm pulling a, a joke out of my back pocket. So I guess I don't consider point of view cheating. There are like characters. Now keep in mind, I didn't say cheating. I said a trick. I, I think the word trick is cheating because it implies it's not pure to me. Maybe this is all semantics, but, so but when I, you see Copperfield doing an incredible illusion, you consider that cheating. No, but I don't know if I agree with your semantics on magic. I would say the methodology and the trick is the same thing in magic. Okay, let's take magic out of it. Yeah. Okay. Like, here's a trick a lot of stand-ups will use. And it's not cheating, but it's something like uh, when a, when a stand-up pretends not to know a word or something, like they're like, what's that thing? Uh, what's that, uh, that golfer's name? Uh, Jack, Jack. And they want someone to go Nicholas or whatever. And, and, it, and the guy goes, yeah, Jack Nicholson. This is what a Jack Nicholson would be like playing golf. So they, there's this comic that used to not have this whole bit about bongs, but he always start out the thing going, what are those water pipes you smoke through? He just wanted someone in the audience to go bong. So he could go, Oh yeah, bong. And then it seemed funnier cause he was just coming up with it. But yet I worked with him in a whole week and he always asked the audience what that word was it was obviously a trick so in my mind that's not cheating either but it's like well i've seen a lot of stand-ups do that same kind of trick or kind of move maybe you would say and it's not necessarily a methodology because i'd say a methodology is something that every stand-up should do and I'd also say there isn't as much a methodology or technique to stand up as there is to improv. I think you could do, I know you can do stand up without ever having a teacher. Um, you just go up on stage, you do your jokes, people laugh or they don't, 
you improve the jokes that don't get laughs, you get rid of them. And the jokes that do get laughs, you keep working on and making them better. And you don't need anyone to teach you that. But there's no way, in my opinion, you can get five people up on stage who are just funny and have them improvise a scene without using any methodology. You could take the five funniest stand-ups at this festival and say, you guys want to do an improv scene? And I bet they would sweatily go, no, thank you, even though they're really fucking funny because they don't have that methodology. I remember I was on a plane once and getting off the plane was this mother and father and they had their son in a, a stroller. He was a little older. He was four, but he was in a stroller off the plane. And there was a red eye. And they said, where are you guys going? And they said, we're doing The Tonight Show today. Oh, what do you guys do? Oh, it's my son. He's a concert pianist. <laughs> he started playing when he was one. So what I'm asking you in your entire career, have Savant. you ever seen anybody come into their first UCB or whatever it is in Chicago? They just walk in. They've never done anything before. And they are like, they've been doing it for 10 years and you say to yourself were you an improv artist in another life predilection yeah I, yes i i have i still stick by they still even the best of those like one comes to mind immediately when i started teaching improv i don't know that probably was like 94 95 at that point i'd been doing it for three years and uh in one of my classes, do you know who Neil Flynn is? Yes. Of the actor, and he's in the middle and now on uh, Abby's, I think. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, he, he He's older than me. I'm a tall guy. He's taller than me. He looks like a fireman or a policeman. Um, in other words, just a total alpha male, high status dude. So a, a hard guy to teach, you know, it's not easy to give a note to a fireman. Um, but he was in my class and not only was he older and taller and bigger and, but he just immediately, he just had a knack for it to the point, like after one of the classes is like, I feel embarrassed giving you notes. Um, and a couple months later he was on our group. And he didn't have all the time that we had had, but also he had been acting at fucking Steppenwolf at that point. So he did have chops as an actor without question. And a big part of improv is also learning to ground yourself and not be so silly in what we call justifying absurdity. Um, so that, that was a natural, that was something he had naturally, or at least he had from his experience acting. Um, but he still needed the technique. He still wouldn't have been able to just hang with us without the classes. I'll still stick with that. One of the things I love most when I watch old, old video of the old improv stages is Farley's justifiable absurdity. Mm -hmm. I rally around that more than I do the stayed present performer that kills Farley arguably Jay Moore would say he was a wrecking ball of joy mm -hmm. he was a guy that when you spoke to him you didn't think that he had a doctorate at Harvard but on that stage he was a master okay I, I gotta say you might have just mentioned someone and I hope this doesn't come off as uh, uh, blasphemy. Or, uh, 
But uh, I would not say Chris was a master improviser. I'd say he was a master comedian um, and a master sketch performer. Um, And as I start off my story saying the fat guy won, right? Like the first time I saw improv, he was without question the funniest guy on stage. Um, But like the... what was responded to me, there is no winner in improv versus stand up. You want to kill, you want, the, you don't want anyone to be able to follow you. you. You don't, you don't go into the show. I hope we all do great tonight. You just go into the show going, I hope I do great tonight. And not only that, I hope I do the best tonight. You know, that that's the stand up mentality. Um, and I would say Farley improvised without much technique. He was a human wrecking ball of joy. And I did improvise with him a couple of times. And it really wasn't improvising with him. It was improvising on the... I was on the... I was honored to share a stage while he was a comedy tornado. But I don't think anyone would walk away from the stage going, Farley and Matt Best did a great scene tonight. They would just go... Farley and that skinny guy behind him, <laughs> he's, he was, he is a savant. He is in, there are, there are certain guys who can just read the the phone book and be really fucking funny. And he's an example of one of those. And you can probably throw them without technique into an improvised show and they will make the audience laugh. Will the rest of the team enjoy that show night after night probably not because you don't as a team member you don't want it to be about one person all the time right you want to be about the team um so i would say he was not a savant he of of improv technique he was a savant of being a funny motherfucker undeniably got it so when you came to the show for the first time you watch the show. You love the show. You were your first time comedy audience person. Mm-hmm. You got off stage and said, the fat guy won, which meant he the fat the guy entertained you the most. Yeah. The fat guy made your night that night. The right. fat guy. So you're saying what's wrong with that? So it's so interesting because one of the foundations of your profession i say your profession because you're like a master at it it's the team approach group minded team minded but the bottom line is if we compare it to sport which you'll be mad at me for every team in order to win needs a star right a basketball team needs three stars out of the 15 let's do let's do basketball because i'm a huge fan and i use basketball metaphors and so, all the and time so, do you think an all-star team of the best basketball players can beat the basketball team that wins the championship and i would say they can't i would agree with you so the you know, team with all-stars has the best player from every a lot of teams and they're playing a team which maybe only have three all-stars, yet the team with three all-stars beats the team with all all-stars. And you know why? Because they have a group mind. They have a group mind, but there's still some stars in there to win okay. the championship. And in the improv groups, there's stars too. Like my group, the family had stars. I Neil know. Flynn. I know. Adam McKay. I'd say I was a star at some point. You were, in improv. You were a star. But, That's what I'm getting at. But we did learn those techniques. So we did... 
even though, and I'll go back at you with the basketball analogy. Please do. Has Russell Westbrook ever won a championship? No. Nope. But he's really good. Has James Harden? Nope. No. Did uh, the answer, Allen Iverson, ever win one? No. Nope. Because they were all, they were hogs, you know? Uh, and, and either a hog has to learn to... Kobe Bryant in his final years. He was a hog. He was arguably the best player, but he was a hog. 60 points his last game. Yeah. So it's like, well, that doesn't, you may be a star, but you're not going to win. And people, and what about people not wanting to play with LeBron now? Arguably one of the best players, but it's like, they don't want to be part of that mess. It's like, they'd rather be part of, uh, I love that we're going into basketball, the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets were all about teamwork last year. Didn't have half a star, arguably, D'Lo. Yet, Kevin Durant and and, and Irving want to go there because they like the, the teamwork going there. So, you know. What I'm trying to get at is when you went to a show and your show is that you put on Every show, there's new people that come yeah. and experience it for the first time. They and may This may be the first time they've even seen improv, period. That's right. And so when you went to see it for the first time, it meant something to you to see that guy. They were a respected group there. Obviously, they were an amazing group of people. I did not remember Tim Meadows and Dave Koechner's performance from that night. I did remember Farley's. And I don't want to sit here criticizing Chris Farley, but but uh, I, I can take it. I can take it to the present. I, I go to Harold Knights. I see shows over and over. I will see. Three weeks ago, I gave this note. The funniest guy on this one group. He's without question the funniest guy in the group. He's also the worst improviser in the group. And in my way. You know, I didn't say it that way, but I, I was basically like, I get that you're getting laughs, but do you see the word? There's the word trust. Like you want to be able to trust that when I walk out on stage that we're working together, that you're not trying to s step on my toes to get a laugh. That instead, we're working together to get a laugh, because if you're stepping on my toes to get a laugh, what's what? energy is that going to bring as that keeps on going to the next show and the next show and the next show it's going to bring a negative energy and that's eventually going to affect the work because we are all on stage together we're not up there as individuals so it'll be negative to the work eventually so and to your point that well to the audience they don't know yep and I said it all the time I said don't be fooled by the audience tonight because they will support bad habits but if they become real improv fans and come back five times, they'll start to notice those bad habits. So the first timer won't. And but it's but I'll go back to stand up. That'd be like saying, why do we criticize the hack? The audience didn't know that he had stolen so and so's material or that airplane joke has been done a thousand times, but they're all laughing. They paid thirty bucks. They all laughed, had a great time. But the rest of the stand ups are in the green room going, that motherfucker was doing someone else's act and that was totally hack and he got the biggest laughs, but that wasn't pure and fuck him. And I know this has happened to you a lot because <laughs> I've seen you destroy. So you are one of the greatest trained improvisers in the world. 
And when you're up there with a group of people, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I've seen you do it as a team, do the right thing, just like everybody else. And you fucking destroy the place and the other people's improvisational thoughts don't as much. Okay. And so you're the trained guy. You're fucking amazing. Everybody's amazing and doing the team approach. But you're Mookie Betts last night. You hit three home runs in the game. <laughs> Is that bad? I'm going to take it back to basketball because I don't know baseball as well. <laughs> um, but that- uh, my favorite basketball player of all time is Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd is not a 30-point th- a guy. He's a triple-double guy. And that's what I aim to be in improv, is a triple-double guy, not a score 30 points guy. I, I will score 30 points on occasion, like Jason Kidd did on occasion, but I'd rather get 10 points and 10 assists than 30 points and one assist. And there are assists in improv. That is a good metaphor. Um, So I hope on the nights when I'm doing well and maybe perceivably doing better than everyone else, that I'm still playing the point guard position and trying to feed. And and I'm not being selfish. And that's why I'm getting my laughs. But the laughs are coming from the scenes and the ideas rather from, hey, that one guy's doing so much better than everybody else. That's certainly not my goal as an improviser of I'm going to be the best improviser tonight. To me, it's like I want to put on the best improv show with this group tonight. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. 
$100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening to today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. I want you to tell me what your perception is of the craft of improv. And I want you to take our audience through something that they might not know, which is the different variations. You mentioned them like the Herald and things like that. So would you mind sharing with our audience the different kinds of improv and the different lanes and and what the different skill sets are for each and yeah is it like there's a marathon runner who can't sprint is like the herald without question and there's certain kinds of improv that i i'm not i do consider myself highly trained but there's certain kinds where i'm like i'd rather not do that because at this point i i don't want to do anything that's sweaty when i can do something that's not sweaty in other words i don't want to think about it too hard but yes so the two biggest genres are short form and long form. So short form is the whose line is it anyway type of uh, what I call gamey games. And yes, listeners, I'm very snobby about this. And <laughs> But the, those games, in my mind, the comedy is already set, in, is already baked into the game itself. So it's like, you know, there's so many different games. Uh, one guy's going to go backstage and then this guy's going to stay out here and you're going to tell him a secret line and then we're going to bring the guy back and we'll see if he can stumble into that secret line or we're going to do rotating movie genres or we're going to talk in gibberish and have an interpreter. Like there's so many... What makes it funny is is already there in the game itself and those things usually last like five minutes and the show is usually you know, 15 of those kind of games, whatever. Um, I don't think you have to have much training to do that kind of stuff. You could be just a very clever person, a very clever comedian. Also, you'll watch that. And those are competitive. Like I was saying earlier, there is no winner in improv. Well, in short form, yeah, there is kind of a winner. Like you do in those little gamey games often have, it is almost literally comedy sports is the main improv theater that does that it is like a it is a comedy sport uh so to speak so i almost think they shouldn't share the same word improv because it doesn't come from the same 
part of your brain. It doesn't have methodology. It isn't about group mind. All that stuff is in long form. So in long form, you take some kind of suggestion, a word, a sentence, a monologue. And from that, you try to take, at least in our teaching, the truth of whatever that word monologue is and start a scene with it the same way a stand-up thinks of something in their life. They think of the truth of it. They see the absurdity in that truth, and then that's what they heighten to make their joke. Well, we're doing that same thing with improv. We're taking the truth. We're kind of underlining it for the audience. We're saying to the audience, isn't this funny? And then we heighten that absurdity in our scene, and that's what the scene uh, becomes. So that's what long-form improv is. There's a lot of different formats for how to do that. The Herald is the one that my mentor started, Del Close. What's but, the Herald named after? Well, the story with that is is uh, it was kind of a eureka moment. Like improv arguably started in the late 50s and the 60s with Del Close, Elaine May, Mike Nichols. And uh, they were... It only started in the late 50s. Well, you could find... Vaudeville didn't have it? We're, we can't call ad-libbing improv. That's what I would say. So, no. There's no video of vaudeville. No, there is, but not a lot of the early days. There might have been time. There might have been times where the Marx Brothers said, you know what? We're just going to go out on stage and try something. But I would say there was no methodology until the, the these people coming out of the University of Chicago all started really breaking it down. Viola Spolin is, is considered the mama bear. She started those kind of improv games, but they were, uh, they were teaching techniques. They weren't really for performance. And then from those kind of theater teaching techniques, I think she just called them games. Uh, Paul Sills, David Shepard. I'm talking about a bunch of legends you may not know, but, uh, they definitely are worthy of being looked up. Um, they started experimenting with this stuff because they were doing really straight up theater and their whole thing was let's break theater theater is all about why are we doing ibsen in you know uh, these really old plays that have nothing to do with what's happening right now in chicago in the 60s you know so they're like let's break theater and so that's what it all came from was we're gonna do plays for the people for what the working man wants us to talk about that's where the, the suggestion came from was like they're basically saying Instead of us doing this old play, you guys tell us what play you want to see tonight based on your life. That's another way of saying, give me a suggestion. So that's where this all started from. Um, so this is a long way of saying uh, long form improv came out of a different headspace than what I would say short form improv evolved into. So they kind of evolved into separate paths. And uh, the Herald itself, you said, well, how did that get that name? They, they were... They, were, they had done scenes, like five-minute scenes improvised, but they'd never done something where it connected all the scenes. Long form, you know, instead of just five minutes, it'd be 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. So they were trying to find that format, and when they came up with the Herald, it was basically you do three scenes you do with two people in them, you do a, then you do a group scene with the whole group in it. Then you do those. You come back to those first three scenes and you do what we call second beats. So, you know, like the continuation of the concept. And uh, then you do another group game with everybody. And then the third beat, ideally, you try to find connections between the three scenes and bring them together. It wasn't that neat and tight 
uh, at that point when they invented it, that's what more what it became. But whatever it was that day they invented it, which I would really like to know because um, no one has a recording of that day. But uh, so the, it was a eureka moment for all of them. They all they were all like sitting around going, this is great. We did it. This is we've discovered something here. And I think Dell said, what should we call it? And the piano player, I should know these guys' names, but the piano player said, uh, sarcastically, let's call it Harold, like some stupid name. And in the spirit of always taking the first suggestion, I think Dell was like, well, that sounds stupid, but okay, we'll call it Harold. And then it stuck. It became Harold. There's different kind of improvs. There's like narrative improv, There's which is you're telling us a story like Keith Johnstone's another kind of guru. He had this thing called impro. Um, and now even from what Dell's invented, people will claim different cities have different styles. I don't know if I buy into that, but uh, like the Chicago style and New York style and LA style, Seattle style, Austin style. So yes, people, People take pride in taking their own directions in even that genre. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And for you, do you ever think to yourself, I want to create my own genre of improv Format. that nobody has ever done before? And I want to start working on that. I would think, I don't know you like you know you, <laughs> but I think to myself, I bet this guy would be working nonstop on creating his own format that changes the face of the game. Mm -hmm. Do you work on that or you don't? I think we have. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get braggy, but, but Dell was a guru genius. He was a junkie. He was a curmudgeon. Um, uh, he, he was an unequal genius. Um, when I say guru, a guru, in my mind, a guru, he's not trying to teach you as much as he just, he's up on the mountain and he says something wise and you can either get it or not. He's not going to sit up there and make you get it. If you want to walk up there and hear him, you can go hear the guru. 
And Dell was kind of the same way. He wasn't going to get down to your novice level and really explain it the way a, a, a beginning teacher should explain something. It was more, I'm just going to spout brilliance and you either get it or you don't. And, and so, and he never would keep up with, he would never track the class. Like last week we worked on this. So I'm going to build on that and do this week. He would completely forget what he did last week. And you go this week, I read a William Gibson novel called Neuromancer. And I want to do a new form based on that. And we, and in our minds, we're like, we still can barely improvise a scene. And you're already throwing a whole new form at us. So in other words, he didn't have a clear uh, 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 staircase ladder of education at when we were with him. It was more just throwing genius at us. So I think what the what we did at the UCB theater was we codified a lot of stuff that Dell had taught us, and hopefully took it one more level to make it a little more teachable. Um. So I don't I don't know if we re, we didn't reinvent the wheel, but I think we made how the wheel works a lot more clear to understand for the next generation of improvisers. That's that was our goal because we thought a lot we didn't want to rip off people in classes. We don't want people to go through our classes and go. I was in level two of your class with this teacher and my friend in the other level two was with that teacher and they were teaching completely different things. And I feel ripped off because I didn't learn this technique that that teacher was teaching in level two. Well, that won't happen in our school because we have a curriculum and every teacher has to teach certain building blocks. They can do it in their own way. They can tell their own stories. They can tell their own mindset on how to get into that building block but they have to teach that building block in that level and that was not going on when i went through improv so i believe our school at least did that um and then people are coming up with their own forms their own their own heralds or whatever all the time you know those are a dime a dozen um uh ASCAT is a much less complicated form. That's the longest running show at the UCB, right? Yeah, that, that's our flagship show. And it's just a monologous says a story, and then we do three scenes based on that story, and then they tell another, another story, then we do another three scenes. It's a very simple format. Um, Harold is much more complicated, and if pulled off, is much more impressive. Who created ASCAP? Well, that's what I was kind of going to say. There's not much to create there. It's almost just like using the basic building blocks and doing a show. And the reason we did the show, there was a show before that that I was in called the Armando Diaz uh, uh, Nanny Experience. I remember that. Um, and that was in... That started in Chicago, and that's when Dell was still alive. And... Uh, uh, Adam McKay and Dave Keckner, uh, there was this guy, there is this guy, Armando Diaz. He's, he's a friend of ours. who was a great storyteller. So that, that form basically was like, Armando, come out and tell a story and then we'll do some improv based on that. So there's not much of a format there. There's not like the, the Harold's complicated to explain. That's not complicated to explain. It's just, it's very basic. And it's kind of, it is why it's our flagship show because it doesn't need rehearsal. You can just be, if you know how to do our technique, I don't necessarily have to know you to do a good show. Maybe that speaks to some of your earlier questions too. I can get on stage 
with people, you know, 20 years younger than me that have gone through the school and know the techniques and we improvise great together because we know the techniques, but I could go, I could be on stage with someone from second city, not doing the same techniques and they've been improvising for as long as I have. And we don't do a sh good show together because we're not sharing the same methodology. I always think to myself that there is inventors and innovators. Mm -hmm. So Del Close inventor. Yeah. Matt Besser innovator. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. So I haven't analyzed it that way. You took the blueprint of Del Close, who was a genius but troubled, not socially there with people. He was chaotic. Yeah. And you decided I'm going to, with a group of people, create a new company. And you took all the positive qualities of the blueprint with you that Dell brought to you. And then you biopsied and did an operation and removed all the things that you thought were self-destructive of his classes and his technique in his school. And then you created new things that were positive and you innovated it so that your product is at the highest level. Don't get me wrong. I think there's, there's, there is a place for exactly what Dell does, but it's not at the early levels. Like we have, we we've evolved our school where we have the academy now you go through a certain level of classes and then you have to audition to get into the academy once you get into this upper level academy there are some classes where you could have a del close teacher who's just spouting genius but at that point you have the building block so that's okay so so don't get me wrong that i think everything has to be in boxes and and codified like i like i was saying but i, I do think you need that starting out you do even in stand up, you need to do certain things and stand up, you know. Uh, and if you do, and if you don't do them, then the audience is going to think, you know, like making eye contact, just simple things like being confident with taking the mic stand, which is simple things you don't think about when you've been doing it for 10 years. But when you're doing it for the first time and you don't do it right, it can totally wreck your set because you look like you have no confidence or you don't know what you're doing. And it, it, it takes the audience uh, uh, confidence in you away. You're the essentially, I would presume, the artistic director of the entire program of UCB or one of the artistic directors. Would that be correct or incorrect? I'll go back to my point guard uh, analogy. I'll say I'm the point guard of the UCB. <laughs> so you started off as a person who was wide-eyed about the craft mm -hmm. of this improvisational form of comedy that was brilliant. And then you got involved as a performer and you were enjoying the craft of it. You were doing it for the love of the game. And then slowly it became a business. Mm -hmm. So now it's a business venture. This particular business is something that's very well respected. So how do you make the transition as a performer who created or is the point guard in this thing 
And now you're also overseeing a business where people pay money. People are staff members. Okay. Teachers get I, this. I definitely have Somebody an comes this. to you and says, hey, I want to raise. What the fuck? I'm, I'm the best teacher in this place. Uh-huh. Hey, man, I just want to perform. I don't want to be the guy who's. You're right. I don't. Um, well, we have all our teachers on a, a raise system. So I'd go, well, we already have a system that if you do this many classes, you get a raise. That's what I'd say to that guy. But, um, I, I get I get your question. But the funny thing is, I, I and the rest of the UCB have never treated it like a business because we never, I never had the dream of opening up a theater. I just wanted to be in a sketch group. I wanted to do improv. I wanted to be a stand-up. I wanted to be on television and comedy movies. I never had, like I said, a dream of opening a theater. It all came organically. We didn't move to New York with a plan to open a theater. We just started doing classes there. Classes created shows. We had so many shows. We're renting so many spaces, uh, uh, nights from this one theater. We were like, we're spending so much money renting. If we spent the same money, we could open up our own theater. So that's what that came from. It was just like it was less expensive to open up our own theater. So every move has has been organic. Then I moved to L.A. and it was like, there's nothing like UCB out in L.A. We should and I and all the UCB expats miss it. Let's open up something here. So it didn't come from. Oh, this will be a great business move and make us money. It came from. Oh, man. There's no stage like UCB in L.A. I want to be on stage like UCB in L.A. So that wasn't a business decision. It was still a creative and it still came from the head of me wanting to perform. And I, we've always said the number one goal or the, the first purpose of the UCB theater was for the UCB four to work out our sketch show. You know, it, it was a selfish. It wasn't a let's make money. It was, let's work out our sketches. So even still I worked out, I just shot my 420, uh, a special, uh, my standup special, it's called pot humor. Um, but I've been working on it at the theater for years, whether at our 420 shows or five minutes at a standup show or whatever. So I'm still to this day using the theater for my craft and that's the number one joy I get out of the theater we've never in however many years it is over 20 years put a dime from the theater or the school into our own personal accounts so it, so it's not a business it's it hasn't it, you can't name another comedy theater or comedy club in the whole United States where the owners don't put a dime into their accounts can you is it a non-profit no the money goes back why do you think we have four why do we have four theaters because we put it we put it all back into our theaters that that's why and when people are like yeah you guys are doing so well it's like well we're doing well because most businesses the the CEOs are taking a lot of money from the business when it does well. We're not. I never knew that. I don't think a lot of people know that. We don't brag about it unless asked about it. But it's like, so when anyone has any complaint about our theater at all, I'm like, I don't take it to heart because I know no one gives as much money as we do to the comedy community. 
And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. You have to be either on stage or watching a show every night of the week. And if you're not, then I don't think you have the passion for it. Because you should and shouldn't even be have to be told that, really. It should just be in you to want to take it in, take in the osmosis. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.